0: You're listening to a Hebrew in Israel podcast with Yoel HaLevi, exploring the language, culture, and history of the Bible. For more information, visit us at hebrewinisrael.net. Shalom, everyone. You're here again with another episode of Zor Mikra. As always, I hope everyone have enjoyed, have enjoyed the previous uh, programs. I actually received really good feedback, so I'm glad to hear um, that people are enjoying. And I, I unfortunately things are a bit of a mess here all the time. So I'm trying to get to the recordings about Shabbat. i have been goading everyone about them, and I was planning on doing it this week. It's just a whole bunch of stuff happened. So fortunately, it didn't it didn't come to pass. But I do have uh, something very special for this week. So I hope it's a good compensation for the for this massive, massive delay. And again, I apologize for the delay on the subject. And uh, this week, I am going to touch on a subject I think is going to interest a lot of people, which is prophecy. What is prophecy? What is the nature of prophecy? How, how prophecy affects our world and so on. I mean, anyone who listens to these programs knows about all these uh, end time prophecies and everyone's talking about this is going to happen and People are trying to present, uh, trying to say, oh, look, the end of days is coming. And prophecy is a, is a big subject in a lot of people's minds. And the problem with this is, first of all, how do you define a prophet? What exactly is prophecy? Is every uh, prediction that someone makes can be considered a prophecy? Also, prophecies that many people make where they completely misunderstand the meaning of a metaphor or the meaning of, of words in the Hebrew text and, you know, prophecies are so-called prophecies that are self-fulfilling and so on. So we're going to look at a few things from the biblical text. And we're also going to look at a few things from uh, from other material just to give some examples. So everyone knows that today people claim that there are prophets among us or people with uh, supernatural abilities. Uh, yeah, I'm going to use the word supernatural just as, uh, as borrowing the term. ...and everyone tries to claim that there's someone who has the ability to see into the future... ...and therefore we should follow that person and so on. But i tell you but into a little secret. This is not a new thing. There's literally almost nothing new out there. I'm going to be very blunt. A lot of things keep on repeating themselves. If it's arguments over what is real prophecy if it's arguments how they interpret the Torah, if it's arguments what is what is God's real will, and so on, there's nothing new. Every, anyone who follows a some kind of a pattern of faith or religion, or whatever you want to call it, these arguments are always going to exist because at the end of the day we're dealing with the human experience and not with the divine directly speaking to us. This is a very important point. A lot of the people who claim that God is speaking to them are either delusional Crazy, or it might be telling the truth. The problem is that most of the time, most of the cases, we're talking about people who are probably delusional or crazy. And I've had my share of meeting people like that because I used to live in Jerusalem, in the old city. So, and I lived there for quite a few years. And I, in the line of work that I had, I had, to, I actually got to meet a lot of strange people. Some people were very nice. I mean, some people claimed they had some abilities, but they were sweethearts, and there was nothing. There was nothing harmful in what they did. But I I did meet the wrathful prophet type of people who were literally just dangerous to everyone around them, dangerous to themselves. Um, But, uh, you know, as long as they don't call someone to do something, it doesn't really matter. People think, people are so, so want to be close to God that it sometimes, it sometimes takes a really strange turn. And the thing is that God really chooses uh, unique people. I mean, when we look at a lot of the, a lot of the characters in the Bible are prophets. These are people who are there for because God chose them, but sometimes we can also find certain characteristics like telling the truth um being very devout, and so on and some people are for example, Isaiah, one of the arguments is that Isaiah was also related to the royal royal family, so he wasn't he was his upbringing was very unique as well. It's very difficult to kind of go into the personalities of each one of the characters because it's we sometimes only get a certain part of who they are like Jeremiah being a very, uh, I would say, almost melancholy type of prophet, or Amos, who's more the, uh, I would say, the vigilante, or Ezekiel, who is very wrathful. Each one of them comes off as a little different, but that also has to do with their personality. I once read this very interesting book by um, Rabbi Shlomo min Probably his original name was uh, Shlomo uh, uh, Fundeber, or something like that, but he calls himself min And he uh, he wrote this interesting article and in, it was a collection of articles that he wrote and he points out an interesting statement that prophets would would see the prophecy but the, the words themselves they would have to put into uh into existence by, by themselves they would see an image they would hear some words but they had to formalize it itself and this is where we can see different characters of prophets coming out from the text itself so first of all um putting this this specific uh uh, discussion into the into the weekly portion, which is Parashat Re'e, and in Parashat Re'e, chapter thirteen, we have the following: If a prophet will rise amongst you, or a dreamer of dreams, and we need to understand the difference between a navi. And there's a whole discussion about the etymology of the word navi and so on. But navi seems to be someone who calls out. It's one of the opinions about the etymology. And a Cholem Chalom, one who dreams, a person who is a dreamer. So really, this the first thing it shows us is that there are two types of prophecies. There's a person who is a full-fledged prophet, meaning a person has a, communi- a direct communication with God in some way or another. And there are a dreamer of dreams, people who have spiritual abilities that they can see into the future. Now, what's interesting is with Jeremiah specifically, we have some hints that he, many of his prophecies were through dreams. Because he, there's a place where it says that his sleep was was good for him. When, he, when we had the chapters in the 30s, in the early 30s of the of the book of Jeremiah, he has all these good prophecies. He says, my sleep was well upon me. But this doesn't necessarily mean that he, he was dreaming the prophecies. It's also possible that he was able to sleep properly at night because he was less uh, frustrated. But it can hit to the possibility that he actually saw many of these prophecies as actual dreams there's a the whole discussion about Moses being a person who was able to receive prophecy while being awake. And we kind of, when we look at some of the characters in the early books of the Tanakh, like um, Moses, Ab- Abraham seems to be that like he sometimes dreams, sometimes he doesn't. But actual full-fledged prophets, though Abraham is called a prophet by, uh, um, by, the, uh, by the angel. But what we have is people like Moses, Joshua, Samuel... These are prophets, which are more the leader type prophets, and they receive prophecy while being awake. However, it's quite possible that the other prophets are seeing more in the level of visions, which means more in the area of dream-like type of uh, prophecy. So we have these two levels. And also... There's this discussion in Talmudic sources about the difference between uh, a prophet and a dreamer where dreaming is considered to be a lower level of prophecy while being a prophet is a higher level. This is a functional prophet while a dreamer of dreams is a person that randomly receives prophecy. But again, one can argue that prophecy in general is very random, that people would see things in a very random way. So they give you an Ot or a Mofet. They actually, they actually claim there's going to be a Ot or a Mofet, a something miraculous. Now it doesn't specify what this miraculous thing might be, but um, what's interesting is the next verse says And this, and this Ot and Mofet, this sign, will come to pass saying to you "Nelecha אחרי אלוהים asher So... It, is, is, the, is the sign something miraculous? Is a prophet supposed to be some, do some kind of a miracle in front of everyone? Or is the sign really the statement that he makes, we're supposed to go and do this worship? In other words, one can argue that what the verse is saying here is there's no absolute way of determining if someone's telling the truth or not as a prophet. That the sign of of being spoken to by by a prophet would be the prophet claiming that you're supposed to do something. If we revert back to the story of Moses, and when Moses is supposed to take the people out of Egypt, God says the sign is that you will worship me on this mountain. In other words, telling him that something is going to happen in the future. So there's, there's an interesting thing that has to be pointed out. That... Prophets are not miracle workers. Prophets didn't have to do miracles. I mean, we find prophets that did. Moses did miracles. Samuel did miracles. But the miracle element kind of vanishes throughout time. Isaiah gives, uh, um, a pro- gives ways for healing uh, King Hezekiah, Elijah and Elisha do miracles as well. But we see kind of there's like two types of prophets which appear in the biblical text, the ones that do miracles and the ones that don't do miracles. But there has to be something in between that unites them all. And it seems to be based on many things that I've read throughout the years that the idea of being a true prophet is the ability to tell the future. Telling the future was considered to be a divine concept. They, they kind of saw some of the literature that I read about this, like uh, Offenheimer about the ancient prophecy in Israel. And, um, for example, who else? There, there are several writers that wrote about this. Um, like, uh, Melmet, who wrote about prophecy in Ma'ari, which was an ancient, uh, East Syrian city that was conquered by Hammurabi in the 18th, 18th century BC, that the, Prophecy was seen as a divine ability. Anyone could do miracles. Anyone had the ability to do miracles because people believed they had the ability to tap into miraculous powers. For example, this is why um, witchcraft is sometimes linked to uh, idolatry, especially for example with the Egyptians, where one would manipulate the powers of the gods to be able to to do a miracle, to perform a miracle specifically by knowing the name of a deity and so on. However, knowing the future meant that you had to have some kind of a link with the divine. And it seems to be this is the same thing. That the autendem of Fate is the claim that you're supposed to do something. He's not supposed to do a miracle, he's supposed to make a proclamation. You're supposed to go and worship that God on that mountain. Or you're supposed to go and do this deed somewhere in that valley, or wherever, whatever it might be. And people would say, um you know how do we know you're a true prophet he has to give an accurate future telling if it's so-so then it seems to be that it's not it also remember we studied this concept of prophecy i think maimonides maimonides gives a very good out um a very good explanation of what exactly are the parameters of deciding who's a true prophet and he says the same thing knowing the future so the torah says here something very simple it says if he, if he tells you that the sign, a God spoke to him and he said, Go worship that specific God, it's not the God of Israel, that person is obviously lying. And the and what's very interesting is a statement here that he says, Lo this is verse 4, Lotishma You will not listen, you will not heed to the words of that prophet, or, or to the dreamer, or that dreamer of dreams for the Lord your God is tr- is testing you to know if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul so it's interesting that is a is a repetitive element in the book of deuteronomy um, but in any case, this whole idea of testing what does it mean that God is testing us so if God did send that person then then why is that person considered to be misleading? So this is kind of a, a, one of those verses that there's a lot of philosophical discussions what he, what's meant by this. Some people argue that that person is anyhow a sinner, so God is manipulating the reality to, um, to bring that person to justice. So he causes that person to hallucinate. That person might be actually seeing visions, but the visions are of a different purpose. Or that um, that God allows people to sin, and He wants to see how how would the nation react. Again, this is a very difficult verse to explain because it goes into the whole discussion of what God knows and doesn't know, and what are are His wills and so on. And it's a very difficult thing to answer. But this is a very intriguing verse, and it says in verse five. (laughs) After you will follow the Lord your God and you will fear him. You, will, you would keep his commandments and you will heed to his voice. And you will worship him and you will cling to him. In other words, if a person stands up and he claims he's a prophet and he tells you to break Torah, you turn around to him and you say, no, no, never an execution. This is This is a very, very powerful statement. Even a person who is a prophet—here's one of the questions that sometimes raised about this: What do you do if the person already is an established prophet? What do you do if you have someone like Amos or Micha or Jeremiah or Yirmiya, or Jeremiah, that show up and suddenly decide to switch and they start telling you lies? But this is a real prophet. It doesn't matter—a prophet, a king, a priest, a a a Cohen, any one of authority that tells you to break Torah. You turn around. and You say no. It doesn't work like that. No one has the authority to tell you to break Torah. However, there's a question that's raised. We have in the laws of the, the laws of war. It says not to destroy any plants when you're sieging a city. However, we find in the Book of Kings that I, that uh, that uh, Elisha tells the people to destroy water sources and destroy all the trees there so it's, this is discussed in the Talmud saying how can it be so they say oh because the prophet is allowed to give you a a commandment for for that specific time for a reason I'm very doubtful of that first of all because it seems to be that the commandment in, De, in Deuteronomy is more about Destroying plants in the land. This is something more in the area of Moab and Edom Which is anyhow not in the borders of the land of Israel. It seems to be the Torah is forbidding destroying Property in the land so you don't destroy your own your own income because the idea is you conquer the land and as the Torah says in Deuteronomy that you you inherit houses and altars you didn't work on you didn't build the house and you didn't plant the altars the Torah is forbidding destroying all these all these resources to prevent any um, any destruction for our benefit so it's it's very difficult to actually uh, to actually accept that interpretation there's also a whole thing with Jeremiah with sorry with Elijah Elijah builds an altar outside of the temple. He builds on Mount Carmel, but it seems to be, again, they say, oh, because there was a need at the time, but again, it seems to be that was some kind of a temple up on Mount Carmel, and the question of how exactly temples worked and what was the opinion about temples back in the first temple period is an interesting discussion by itself. So we have this concept of prophecy. It is a slightly unclear exactly how prophecy works. I'm, I'm always going to leave a little bit in the gray area when it comes to prophecy, but we find this idea that a prophet is a person who sees visions in some way or another, and does not have the authority to undermine Torah. However, an instruction from a true prophet is considered to be a type of Torah. And if you do a search of the word Torah or anything of that root, and you, you, you'll find it linked to prophets. So to, what, what, when did prophecy actually end? I mean, we have types of prophets, more leader type of prophets, more just tell people the future. But then the question is raised, when exactly did prophecy end? Where, where, where does prophecy vanish? I mean, today we have people walk around claiming they're prophets, but who says that they're really prophets? Um, the answer to this one is a little tricky, because there are, there are multiple sources that talk about this subject. But a very interesting thing that we need to remember, and I'll get back to this towards the end, is the the struggle between the rabbis and what we'll call for, just just for the discussion, prophets. This is a this is a very important subject because it raises questions about authority and who is an authority and so on. The Torah itself gives us several gives us basically three types of authorities. There's a king who has seems to have a king's court as well. There is a actually four. So say there's a shofet, which is kind of like a king, but this is more of a judge. A judge usually the term judge usually meant someone who was a regional. A uh, leader that could have been like original a chieftain of sorts is kind of a king that's how the term shapatu or shapat means in Akkadian it was usually meant a regional leader sometimes under the authority of the of the greater king but sometimes it also meant someone who's more of a tribal leader or regional leader. Then we have the uh, then we have the Kohen, the Kohanim uh, which are the in charge of the temple, I would say that in the, in the terminology the book of Deuteronomy, Kohanim would also include Levi'im. Uh, De, Deuteronomy has a, an, a unique approach to the whole subject of Kohanim and Levi'im, and it seems to be that it includes Levi'im in the concept of Kohanim. And then we also have the Navi. The Navi is a person that you approach to speak with over anything that you're not too sure about. Now, first of all, we have a few interesting occasions of uh, pro- prophets, prophecies which were considered to be false prophecies. For example, in, in Isaiah, where um, he talks about, I uh, think it should be somewhere in, in the, in, uh, uh, oh yeah. So first of all, we have the whole story of Isaiah uh, with um, with Rav Sha'ke. You know, let's do a reverse here for a second. This is a very important subject. So we'll get to the subject when prophecy ended very soon. But first of all, the problems with prophecy, I said history repeats itself, the problems with prophecy in general. So let's take a couple examples. Uh, people people walked around claiming they were prophets, and we know about this because the, the, the Tanakh, the, the books of the prophets, talk about false prophets. The Torah mentions that there could be a false prophet, and a false prophet doesn't necessarily have to be someone who tells you, oh, go worship this idol, go worship this false god. A, prophet can also, a false prophet can also be someone who speaks in the name of God, but is lying about it. And this is also a very serious accusation. So, first of all, understanding the difficulty people have with prophecy in general. And I'm referring to here, for example, to the book of Isaiah, to chapter 36 and 37, we have the story of Rav Shakeh. Now, there has been some research done about Rav Shakeh. First of his name, Rav Shakeh, it's not really a name, this is a title. And the title, Rav which means the the master, lord of the cup or the master of the cup. This was the cupbearer. The cupbearer usually was a very, very important um, uh, minister in the king's court, actually a very close minister because he was entrusted with the king's cup and in time this, this position grew more than just someone who carries the king's cup he usually became a very close advisor someone who the king would trust with his life and so on but there's some research been done about him and the research indicates that he it seems to be that he was actually an Israelite this is actually agreed by several scholars like for example I think Nadavne Eman who's very famous in the circles I, I work with um for uh, doing research on, on the history of the first temple and what we find is that he claims that rav Sha'ke was an israelite and the, israelite, the reason he claims this from the northern tribes by the way the reason he claims is that it seems to be that rav Sha'ke was aware of jewish practices or israelite practices of worshiping on different hilltops and the whole controversy over one temple and so on What he says, you know, he, and Hezekiah is told to worship only before this house. So it seems to be he's, he's involved, he knows and is involved with the, with some of the interior arguments of the Israelites. So, he knows that there's a prophet called Isaiah, but he's claiming that it's Hezekiah who's promoting this. In other words, he wants to he wants to argue here that Isaiah is really a, a political prophet. He really sits in the king's cult, and he says things as as a so-called prophet in the name of really in the name of the king. Kind of reversed of what. Uh, what was really what was really going on that Isaiah actually is a person who was op- also openly criticized the kings he would turn around to Hezekiah and criticize him if necessary and then uh, Rav Shake is trying to reverse this and the reason he's able to make this claim is not just because he he's trying to use uh, psychological warfare here he's also trying to make a very common Israelite argument where he says he's a false prophet don't listen don't listen to uh, to Isaiah so that's one example then we have um other examples where uh, Jeremiah in chapter 23, he mentions it from verse 9, verse 9, all the way to uh, I would say all the way to verse 18, he talks about false prophets. He says, To the prophets, <speaking in Hebrew> my heart is broken within me, my my all my bones quiver. And he mentions in verse 10, it's <speaking in Hebrew> the land is full of adulterers Allah of it's because of a, of a of, the, of a curse which means undoing of a of an oath as well the land is is mourning and he he mentions here all these people that came their prophets and priests and they're doing they're doing heinous actions he mentions verse thirteen the prophets of Shomron, and he says these are people that that are considered to be prophets, and he calls them a Nevi'im, he doesn't say, uh, you know, just uh, liars or something, he says he uses the term Nevi'im, he says that they're considered to be legitimate prophets amongst a lot of people, and, they, um, and they're lying, lying to the nation, and basically causing them to sin, so again, this is obviously one of those situations, as we mentioned in Deuteronomy. And then there's the famous story in Jeremiah where he walks in with the, uh, with the yoke on his shoulders and he stands before Hananiah bin Azul and Hananiah claims that he's a prophet. He says he's a prophet and God is going to break the yoke of, 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 uh, of, um, of, uh, of Babylon off of their shoulders. And what's very interesting that uh, Jeremiah actually makes the claim that prophets who came before you and I, he turned, when he says this to uh, uh, when he says this to and he he says the following Hanavi. This is verse nine, chapter twenty-eight, verse nine. Hanavi, Asher in leshalom, the prophet who will prophesize for peace be Hanavi, ivada deva Hanavi, Asher Adonai beemet. When the words of this prophet will come, it w- the prophet will be known that the Lord has really sent him. Now, this is a very interesting and very unique insight to the concept of prophecy we have nowhere else. And that is, bringing prophecies of doom and them to be cancelled was an easy thing to do. Oh, God accepted your repentance and it's gone. That was an easy argument. But then he says, if a prophet prophesies peace and that peace comes... Then you know that he's a true prophet. Now the question is, is he just targeting what Hananiah claimed, which were prophecies of, of peace and prosperity? Or is Jeremiah actually giving us some insight into another element of how prophecy works? And this is actually something which we find in the Talmud. And they say, if a prophet prophesies bad things, it's not a sign that he's a true prophet or a false prophet because of the possibility of people repenting however a good prophecy can never be taken away and this is this is one of the arguments of how to define something as a prophecy in any case so what we find from these examples is that prophecy was always a very flaky thing we look at just use an example of jeremiah we look at jeremiah jeremiah for us jeremiah is a true prophet But for them, living back then, trying to understand the world people lived in, this is a very important thing that has to be remembered. You don't judge material based on the reality you live in today. You judge it based on how they lived. And this requires study of anthropology and so on. So a lot of people make judgment of the Tanakh and make decisions in the Tanakh based on the reality we live in today and the ideologies that we have today and the standards but we no one actually stops to think what was the world they lived in and this is this is um this is also influenced types of interpretations of the tanakh where we completely ignore context and we only you know, we're going to come up with it, whatever we feel like and it's a very dangerous uh, a very dangerous type of interpretation because it can go anywhere but it's apparently very common okay now go into the question of when did prophecy exactly end so the last prophets that we hear about, the ones which are considered to be official and canonized in the Tanakh, are, is, is uh, Malachi. So first of all, his name, Malachi, means from the word Malach, Malachi, the one who is an angel, one who is a messenger. And he lived somewhere in the beginning of the Second Temple, he might have lived somewhere in the 5th century. Some people want to argue maybe even later than that, and... After him, officially, there were no more prophecies. And this is where a lot of books, which are considered to be prophetic books, were rejected. In other words, canonization, and I'm actually working on this subject in a lot of detail with another program that I'm doing, that prophecy, sorry, the, the, the Tanakh was canonized based on books that were written when prophecy existed. This is why even a book like Maccabees, which is a legitimate book, was rejected because there was no longer actual prophecy. Now, after Malachi, the next link in, the, in, the, in this chain was actually Shimon HaTzadik. Um, Shimon HaTzadik was considered to be a man who has some, had some, some kind of a quasi-ability uh, to prophesy. He was already around the times of Alexander the Great. And he was considered to be a person with some kind of prophecy, but not full fresh prophecy. It was more the ability to use what's called the Ruach HaKodish, but considered to be a high level of that, and what we really see is a, as a decline in, the, the, in decline in prophecy in Israel in general, and this is a part of a great discussion that exists to this very day. And then there's a whole discussion about will prophecy come back? And there's some evidence, some, some hints to this. Your children, your, your sons and daughters, and handmaids will see visions and so on. So prophecy is supposed to come back at some point. I think this is one of the reasons why people make the argument that they can see things today. But this argument about prophecy carried on even deeper into the, towards the end of the Second Temple because there was a debate between what we we'll call the Pharisees, Pharisees, Sadducees against other groups like the Essenes that the Pharisees and Sadducees claimed that prophecy doesn't really exist anymore. There are no people we can actually claim who are prophets. However, the Essenes or people who were Essene-like claimed they had prophecy. And there's a very interesting entry in um, um, uh, Wars of the Jews Against the Romans by Josephus that uh, there was a man called Judah. This is uh, First uh, Book One, Chapter Four, uh, Paragraph Five. I'm using the uh, the Simchoni uh, in translation from the from the Greek original. And he says that there was a man called Judah who was from the families of the Essenes who was never never made any mistakes and never lied when he gave signs using the word otiot or otot. And when he used to see Antigonus passing at Temple Mount, he used to call out to all his friends, well, uh, I will die this time for, for uh, truth has been cut or, was removed, removed from my mouth and one of my prophecies has returned returned empty. It, it, and this man, Antigonus, is still alive, though it has been declared upon him to die, and his place of death will be the Tower of Stalton. And what it seems to be that at the end, um, he actually died, died um, in a place that had a similar name. So this man, presumably even Josephus, who seems to be somewhat of a pharisee because he's always very pro-pharisaic um he claimed that this man had the ability to actually see into the future and we also have other sources that talk about this whole debate and it seems to be the Hasmonean period we still had people had the ability to see something into the future and some of these people were considered to be crazy but it could be that they actually said things which were real However, towards the end of the second temple, we start seeing a decline in prophecy, especially people trusting so called prophets because they realized what what kind of a doom it bore upon them, especially after the destruction of the first of the second temple, because the second temple was uh, Uh, a a place of gathering for these different types of people and the moment that place of gathering was gone we suddenly see a massive decline and also probably a fear by some people who wanted to claim they had prophecy to make any form of prophecies because they were basically uh, afraid that we'll discover that they're liars but what we do find is a very pragmatic approach by a lot of the rabbinic sage and this is actually a place where we, we do have to admit that they did very good work is when they turn around and they said, listen, prophecy doesn't really exist anymore. These people who claim they have prophecy might have some kind of ability, but they're not. these people are not built to lead. They're not built to tell us what the Torah is and so on. So they, they struggled, it seems to me, they struggled with these characters. And one can argue in a sinister way that they struggled with them Overpower and control, but I'm very doubtful of that because they were anyhow already in in control. And people liked the Pharisees. Uh, Josephus mentions that the, the the general public liked the Pharisees because they were very down to earth. But what we do find is a so some some commentators wrote about this that there are this was a deliberate attempt to to uh get rid of prophecy not because they were against prophecy but rather because they were against the idea of people claiming that prophecy at the time misleading a lot of people into doing a lot of stupid stuff and the this this is an interesting struggle that requires a, probably a recording by itself but the struggle over prophecy vanished at a very, very late stage. But every once in a while, even in Jewish history, we keep on hearing that people have ability to see into the future, and some of them were very accurate. But Judaism has always been very pragmatic about this and very careful with the subject. If someone claims they're a prophet, we won't necessarily reject him. However, there's this wrong notion that, that rabbis are against prophecy completely, and they try to destroy prophecy. I'm very doubtful of this of this idea. However, there, it's very clear that there was a struggle and they did take a side on this and the side was to claim there's no prophecy whatsoever to probably really save more people, though they probably many of them probably did realize there was some kind of prophecy around because they did speak about having the ability to see things in Ruach HaKodesh. Ruach HaKodesh, by the way, is not the Holy Spirit, as some people say. Ruach HaKodesh really means a spirit of holiness and to this very day, some people claim that there are rabbis who have rocha kodesh. If they do I don't, I've never actually tested this. Uh, there are a lot of stories, a lot of rumors, but you can't really prove any of them. In any case, this has been a recording about prophecy, touching on some of the subjects. Again, prophecy is a very broad subject, a lot of details that have to be discussed. However, this is what we have in the limit of time that we have here. Again, there are plenty of books. There are some books that are really worth reading, especially books about articles about the prophecy in Ma'ari, uh, Oppenheimer about prophecy and so on. There's a lot of material out there. I highly recommend, but make sure that you you check who the writer is because sometimes there are pseudo-writers who write a lot of weird stuff. I'm not saying that that academics always get it right and always write correct things, but it's a little bit safer because there's a methodology there. And um, again, we might revisit the subject sometime in the future, because it's a complex subject. We might actually do something separate with a lot more sources. However, I want to wish everyone a Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for joining me again. And um, again, if you have any questions or anything you want to know, Hebrew in Israel at gmail.com. Hebrew in Israel is one word, or the Facebook page. And I'm also hoping to uh, carry on with the work with the videos on YouTube. But again, as I say, I'm very busy, so it's a little difficult to juggle all these uh, all these media form simultaneously Koltov